Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, a place for adolescent and family healing. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If your family is struggling and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their trained professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. You've got 100 people a day dying just because they can't get access to clean water. You have moms that will tell you, and I hear this not just a few, but dozens of times on every trip, you know, I bore six and three are living, meaning I had six Um, children and only three of them are still alive. And they died mostly, primarily because of waterborne disease. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Hey everybody, I'm Jimmy Myers. And I'm Josh, how are you doing? Welcome to Paradox. We are, uh, we're pumped today to have with us Todd Phillips, who is the founder and president. He's very persnickety. He has to be called president. Grand Poobah. Uh, huh. Of The Last Well. And it's very uh, fortuitous that we would be speaking uh, because Beth and I have been talking about getting a well in the backyard. So what do y'all's run? I mean, what are we talking? <laughs> yeah, for you, Jimmy, 30 grand. Very cheap. Ah. Um, that's a Perfect. deep borehole that'll last just you a cool six, seven 30. months out just of the year. Just a cool 30? Ah, we can yep. swing it. Cool 30. Um, apparently, though, I'd have to move to Liberia. Yeah, we already there. But if you want okay. fresh, clean drinking water, we've got plenty over there now. <laughs> All right. Um, so the last well... Uh, Todd, you, you've you've pastored for a lot of years. You're a you're a blogger. You're a speaker. You're an author. Uh, you've uh, you've in, uh, you've authored Complete Joy and Get Uncomfortable. Um, but before we get into all this, uh, I was reading how the the last well got started, and the quote that just jumped out at me was the the young adult who said to you, "Why can't we see God in something in our generation?" Kind of give us, a, what is that story again? That's fantastic. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on the podcast uh, to both of you, Jimmy and Josh. I've known you guys for a long time. I'm fired up that you're doing this. I hope thousands upon thousands of people listen to your uh, your podcast on a regular basis. I believe you guys honestly have a lot of wisdom and insight that you can share with people, and you've been kind enough to let me come on, so I appreciate that. Um, we've got a we've got an incredible story. I was a pastor um, of a church up in Washington, D.C. called Frontline Church. It was a generationally targeted church. It, it kind of focused on the mid-20s, kind of college, up to 30, really. And um, we had about 4,000 of these young adults coming to 10 different campuses around the D.C. area, very high output, highly motivated individuals from all over the world, love the Lord. And, and uh, they watched the William Wilberforce movie that many of your listeners may have watched back in 2008, 2009, called Amazing Grace. And it, of course, the story is about Wilberforce, who is credited with ending the slave trade in the U.K. several hundred years ago, uh, had a passion for Jesus. He wanted to become a priest, but God had different plans for him and took him into the, the parliament. And he used his political prowess and his passion for Jesus to end the slave trade. Well, this movie, for some reason, just really struck a chord with these thousands of young adults in D.C., and they all came to me as the pastor of the church and said, hey, Todd, listen, why can't we see something end in our generation like Wilberforce did? And, and it was really an amazing so thing cool. to, to watch. I got phone calls, emails, people coming by unannounced to the office, seeing me at Starbucks. I mean, it was, it was a pretty unprecedented kind of groundswell of, of passion and activity among these young adults. And so 
in response to that, I sat down with the staff and we kind of put a prayer team together and sat and just began to pray for God to answer two questions for us. What, what is that thing that he would end in our generation and where would we go to do it? And so through that process, we had hundreds of these thousands of young adults, hundreds of them actually got involved in doing research and engaging with our staff at the church. And we asked two simple questions. What's the uh, worst place in the world that no one wants to go to? So um, when we go there, uh, God's love will be evident and it'll shine brightly. And then the second thing was, um, what's the greatest physical need that we can use to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with people in that area? And so very quickly, over just a few months, we realized that the worst place that we could find at the time, back in 08, 09, was Liberia. They'd come out of a 14-year civil war. Uh, they, um, they were incredibly destitute. They were on the bottom five poorest countries in the world, according to the CIA fact book. They also keep a misery index on countries around the world. It was the second most miserable country to live, and, and a quarter of a million people had died in the civil war. Uh, USA Today's subsidiary, 247.com, rated them the most corrupt country in the world in that same year. She had corruption, poverty, uh, misery, all these things coming together, and these young adults in D.C. said, that's where we want to go. And then soon, at about the same time, we realized that water was the greatest physical need, certainly in Liberia, but really in every developing country, we found out. And so we saw water as the tool. Liberia would be the place, and the goal would be preaching the gospel and providing water to that entire nation, border to border, uh, by 2020. So that's kind of how this whole thing started. Man, that's insane. Um, Now, Liberia, um, for all the wonderful things about it, also recently was in the news because of the Ebola outbreak. Uh, In fact, you were kind of caught up in that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, we all heard and were afraid and all the stuff about the Ebola. What was kind of your involvement in the last well's involvement in that? Yeah, so we, uh, back in 2014, when when the wheels fell off, so to speak, with with the Ebola outbreak, um, Liberia became the epicenter. Uh, Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia, three countries that bordered each other in West Africa, uh, were where it all happened. But the epicenter of that was actually in Liberia. Uh, just over half of the people that, that became ill and died, just over half of them came out of the, were within the borders of Liberia. I happened to be over there with a team during that time in July, August of 2014, when everything went south very quickly. Uh, you would get up one morning, there would be three new cases, and then three days later, there'd be 72 new cases, and then the following day, there'd be 185 new cases. I mean, it just expanded, geomet- you know, just, just exponential growth. Uh, of the number of cases, all while we were literally inside Monrovia, the capital city. And uh, we thought we weren't going to be able to get out of there. In fact, we uh, we called um, Pete Sessions, Congressman uh, Pete Sessions, uh, in, a, in a very um, challenging situation where the American embassy was shut down. And we just had no contact with the outside world and oh. thought the planes, the commercial planes were going to stop flying. And so we were looking for alternative routes out of the country. Well, fortunately, one of the last planes to get out was the one that we were on. And so um, we were there during the challenges. We were there when all the stores shut down. We were there when the president of Liberia, President Sirleaf, announced there would be no public gatherings allowed by order of decree, presidential decree. Um, all the markets were shut down. The schools were shut down. Government agencies were shut down. Um, it, it was it was the most surreal experience I've ever had in my life in this sense. we We left Monrovia the main city, the capital city of Liberia, to go do a well dedication and preach the gospel at this village about four hours north. So we left one afternoon. 24 to 30 hours later, we came back the following afternoon, 
and a city that had 1.7 million people shoulder to shoulder. I mean, a bustling major metropolitan area became a ghost town overnight. It went from 1.7 million people in the streets to no one in the streets in 30 hours. Wow. And so those are the kind of experiences we had. And we, we shifted some of our drilling teams to some of the hospitals that were being put up by uh, Samaritan's Purse and other agencies to try to provide clean water to those that were suffering the most. Mm-hmm. And we're, by God's grace, we're allowed to actually get very aggressively involved in trying to turn the country around from that incredible tragedy. Wow. Wow. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that in that, that hour of need, you didn't call me. I tried I mean, you, Jimmy. It's not like I don't have influence. <laughs> he has an inflated self-worth. Um, okay. So what you're doing is amazing. This thing, you know, was germinated in, in the hearts of, of young adults. So you've got, you've got a young parent out there, a young mom or dad. What do they do to, yeah, what do they do to actually do something? How do we move them from just writing a check and writing checks is vitally important into actually going and doing Mission you know, that's the biggest kind. question I get, right? Because everybody wants to get beyond just writing the check and, and, and moving toward action. I think it's both and, um, and. And we're not just talking about the last well. Let me just kind of put my pastor's hat on for a minute from my background and just say, you know, it excites me when I get to talk to parents with, you know, elementary or middle school or high school age students or college students. They're trying to, to help them understand the global challenges out there and, and how they can be involved. And, and writing a check is one way to do it. One of the, one of the things that I've been a – a lifelong, or at least during my Christian experience since I was 24, I'm 46 now. So the last 22 years, I've been a, uh, for my Christian life, I've been a lifelong advocate of short-term mission trips. And I don't care how close or far they are away, it's just getting people out of their comfort zone. Um, I think it's fundamentally, I know this now, it fundamentally shifts people's thinking. Um, their paradigm shifts are permanent. They're no longer able to see the world in quite the same way, which is a good thing. Um, when I was pastor at Frontline, the church where Lastwell started, we had those about 4,000 people coming weekly, all of those young adults. Um, we had a, uh, a stated uh, mission uh, as a church. One of the things we wanted to do is within two years of calling Frontline your church home, every single individual that calls Frontline their church home would go on a mission trip within that two-year time frame. And so we pushed that aggressively. We sent six, seven, 800 people a year out on short-term mission trips, and many of them, not a few, but many of them came back and, and because God used that to fundamentally alter them, they began to look for their own yep. personal passion, whether yep. that was human trafficking or clean water or education, whatever that might be, to go from a church's perspective, go show God's love in a practical way. So I think the best thing, in my opinion, the best thing that, that a young person can do and a parent can do is to facilitate that opportunity for young people while they're still young. And I'm talking, again, elementary, middle school, high school, uh, young, young people who are in their formative years looking to see God do great things as a parent is trying to guide them through that process to get them on a mission trip somewhere out of their comfort zone to see the world in a different way to get out of their shell. Yeah, well, I was noticing, looking at your map of Liberia, uh, that one of the states or districts or whatever is called Bong. I'm thinking half my clients would sign up if they could just go to Bong. They'd all want to go to Bong, right? Yeah. And nobody knew there's an entire region named after that exact (laughs) utensil. in fact, Bong County is one of the largest counties uh, in the in the country. It's the most well populated, which now you know why. And the most mellow. Yeah, I'm sure it's so coincidental. Everybody's chill. Everybody's <laughs> completely mellow. And you could make a living just on a Doritos 
um, restaurant. Served nothing but Doritos. Wow, you just said that out loud. <laughs> so you talk about water being your tool. Um, why is 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 really service and actually meeting a need so important for the gospel presentation? Well, it, it really comes down to this. I'm not trying to be overly simplistic, but nobody doesn't like water, right? I mean, I've never found, we've never gone to a village where there's not that need, and especially in a developing country like Liberia where there's abject poverty and challenges. Water is life. The phrase, you hear the phrase, water is life. It is a culturally relevant phrase that you learn from the time you can speak English. And so they realize the need and they also realize their lack. And so one of the most amazing things we can do, if not the most amazing thing, is that before they want education for their kids, before they want uh, better crop yields, I mean, they want water. Water, water, water. And so they realize that their kids aren't going to make it to their fifth birthday if they don't have clean water. So we we realized that water was such a non-political, such a simple solution uh, to, to bring life to communities in, in a place like Liberia that, that it just became that obvious for us. And what you've got to understand is up to 100 people a day are dying from simply lack of clean water just in Liberia, and it's a relatively small country. You've got 100 people a day dying just because they can't get access to clean water. You have moms that will tell you, and I hear this, not just a few, but dozens of times on every trip. You know, I bore six and three are living, meaning I had six no. children and only three of them are still alive. And they died mostly, primarily because of waterborne disease. God. So you've got this incredible opportunity to come to parents and say, look, we Jesus has brought us here and called us to provide clean water, but also share the love that he has for you, not just through the water, but through this good news that he brings sure. as well. And obviously they listen. And, and that's a... You know, I've, I've spent most of my life doing evangelistic work in the United States, um, and now primarily doing that work, although I'm still doing it here a lot. I just, a lot of my time, effort, energy, and my heart is over in this small country in Africa. And it's just remarkable how responsive people are in, in comparative terms, right? Because they have a true need. And when you meet that need, they see that for what it is a miracle, right? And they mm-hmm. respond to that. You wrote a, a book, Get Uncomfortable. Um, do you believe that the, the the American church is too comfortable? You know, I, it's it's funny that you asked me that question right in the middle of kind of uh, my own kind of devotional life and my really reviewing the biblical reality of, of what the church should be and where we are in America. I, I say it, so when I answer this, I say it with a tremendous love for the local church, but the answer is yes, I think we're much too comfortable. Um, I think we've, I think in large part, and I don't say this across the board, but I do believe there are there are many churches that have become more more akin to Christian country clubs than the spiritual hospitals mm. that I really view in the Bible. That I see. Ooh, the come on now, big. you're starting to preach and, on this. There you go. Pass the plate. Pass mm-hmm. the plate. Um, that's really the that's really the the crux of it for me now. Mm-hmm. I also realize that we're doing tremendous good, and we, we take our wealth here in America, and, and I think we do we, we do well with it through the local church. I believe the local church is God's plan A, and there really is no plan B. I don't think it's big business. I don't think it's government or Hollywood. It's the local church. And so if we would only understand that, I think in America, we have the ability in America, and this blows people's minds, we could solve the global water crisis and do it in Christ's name. Talk about a revival hitting the globe. Absolutely. If the American church today sat down and said, we are going to provide the funding, the financial tools, and the mechanisms and the systems to provide clean water for the last 700 million people that don't have it, permanently solve that crisis, 
permanently eradicate waterborne illness in all relative terms, and we're to do this in Christ's name, what would happen around the globe? Mm. And yet we don't do that, but we have the ability to do that. And, and quite frankly, we don't have to even sacrifice to get it done. We just need to redirect funds, and we're all still paying our bills. Sure. That, that's, that's how amazingly wealthy we are in the American church today and how we, I believe, just flat out misunderstand our purpose in our generation. Hmm. And you, you also wrote a, a, a book, Complete Joy. It talks about evangelism and the, and the joy that ensues from it. Why do you believe that people don't evangelize more? Well, I, right, there's two, there's two components to it. One is there's a gift of evangelism, a spiritual gift where, that I believe I have where you publicly proclaim the gospel. It's a, it's a passionate engagement point of public proclamation, and yet all of us are called to evangelize, to share the love of Christ in a practical, receivable way with the people around us. And I, th- I think it comes out of fear. Really, when it, re- when it really comes down to it, I believe it's really two things. Number one, it's fear. Uh, 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 we, we, um, we sense too much of our responsibility in the process that we're simply to share our story. God does the rest, but we take on so much responsibility, we become afraid that we might say something wrong or do something wrong, and I think we need to lessen that sense of fear. God really is in control. We're not. And the second thing is I, I think we misunderstand Scripture as it relates to evangelism. Um, when you look at Scripture, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we call that the Great Commission, where Jesus you know, brings his disciples on a hillside in his glorified body and says, go make disciples, baptize, and teach, right? I mean, it's the Great Commission, this what you're to be about. So the church is to make disciples, baptize, and teach. And then in Acts 1-8, some of his last words before he goes up to be with his Father in heaven is, you know, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my disciple. You'll, um, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So he tells us what to do in Matthew. He tells us where to go in Acts. But I think we miss this there's a single verse in 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, where John, the author, is writing about his firsthand testimony. He's basically sharing the good news of Jesus in the first three verses. And in verse 4, he says, we write this, we're telling you about Jesus to make our joy complete, possessive. So in other words, when we share our, the love of Christ that we have, when we share that with, freely with someone else— we do that, God blesses us with complete joy. There's very few places in the Bible where those, that Greek phrase is used in just that way. In fact, it only happens three times. And one of those times is in relation to sharing Christ with others, as exampled in 1 John 1, 4. And so I, I say all that to say that not only are we afraid and take on too much responsibility for what we say to people and not trust God enough with those words, but we don't fully realize that it's not an obligation so much is one of the greatest opportunities that we have as a Christian. It's not a, I have to share Jesus because I'm a Christian and Jesus tells me to. It's, I get to share Jesus because I'm a believer. It's, it's moving from obligation to opportunity. So it's not just lessening fear. It's increasing the sense of the joy that we'll receive when we go out there and do it. And, and that's what I try to encourage people to do through that book, Complete Joy. Guys, we love and trust Todd's heart uh, completely, and we hope that now after hearing him, you guys do as well. We have a mandate to get involved, uh, and one of the best ways you can do that is through The Last Well. So check him out, thelastwell.org. You can also find more about Todd at his website, toddphillips.com. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, The Last Well Todd, and then his Facebook page is The Todd Phillips. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it, my friend. Hey, when are you in Austin again? Um, I'll be down there in the next two to three weeks, actually. I mean, Taco Bell is like on me. <laughs> oh, 
call your kid me. Well, then I'm coming. I don't even have a plan now to be there, but I'm coming just for that. <laughs> Nachos Belgrande. Yes. Seriously, holler at me so we can go. We can do, do some barbecue. It's a deal. I appreciate you guys. Todd, me love you, buddy. Thank podcast. you. Love you, Take man. Care, uh, you know, Todd is just as good as it gets. It sounds like he'd done this before. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> boom, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yeah, man. That was amazing. Uh, he, um, but he, and he always has been. Um, you know, we were hey, did, thrilled. You knew him before he was saved. Way back in the day. Um, and we didn't even get to his testimony. Yeah. Uh, that guy you just heard was in the adult entertainment industry. Yeah. Came from a, a pretty oh, awful yeah. background. Horrible background. Uh, and listen to him. You want to talk about, um, you know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. Uh, we're all testament to that, but, um, Todd, something else. Uh, I love it when he was talking about the church in America. Uh, you know, if we just acted, we could end this. Yeah. Um, and I, it's mind boggling that we don't act more. And I think, you know, whether it's sex trafficking or clean water, it's like, I I feel like it's paralysis of analysis. Like, where do we begin? (laughs) There's so many needs. But I remember from David, David Platt's book, uh, Radical, where he talks about the denominational newspaper that says last year, this many billions of dollars were given for church growth and new buildings and da, 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 da. And down at the bottom of the very same page, it has, and the girl's mission organization gave $5,000 for African hunger. Hmm. And it's just like, what is wrong with this picture? Yeah. Uh, and I loved uh, when he's talking, I'm, I was reminded of, uh, of Keith Green um, and if you don't know who, I'm not even going to say, I'm not even going to say who that is, because if you don't know, shame, please, 30, shame, 35 of the 40 people listening do not know who Keith mm-hmm. Green is. And that's why they're so spiritually shallow. <laughs> um, but I remember him um, saying, you know, God's last word, as Todd was saying, was to go. So he, Keith Green's take on it was, hey, you know, unless you're specifically called of God to stay, then you're called to go. Uh, in kind of whatever form that takes. But um, I love, love Todd, love what he's doing. Yeah, it was man. powerful when he said it's, it's not about obligation, it's about opportunity. Um, how we've got to, to get away from I have to share the gospel to I get to. Yeah, and when you get to see, getting a family involved, when you get to see your kids. Yeah. I was fortunate that I was all you guys as youth minister. So I was on every mission trip. I was on, you know, I was on all those things. Yep. I got to see you pray with kids. Uh, there's in my mind uh, in uh, Suriname, uh, Sarah kneeling and giving candy to this this little boy. Yeah. Uh, and again, just just a couple of days ago, there was a picture. Of my my daughter and her new husband are taking their honeymoon, doing a mission trip, kind of like y'all did, and um, in Amsterdam. And there she was sharing the gospel with some people on the street there yeah. in Amsterdam. And when you see that as a parent, you just say, okay, shoot me in the head and, and take me to Jesus. It doesn't yeah. get any better than that. And so he st- spoke about the responsibility and not believing that we have too much of it. 
You know, we we think that if I share, I gotta say the right thing, do the right thing. That this answer is all on, their questions. Yeah, this is on yeah. me, and it's no. We our responsibility is just sharing, and then it's God working in their heart. So powerful stuff, guys. If you want more, but not only about Todd, we'll have it on our website, but also about our other interviews or shows. Paradoxpodcast.com. You can follow us there and subscribe to our emails. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's Docs Podcast. You can also find me, Josh at those three platforms it's doc josh myers facebook dr jimmy myers and on twitter why do i say yeah yeah twitter i don't know and instagram mm-hmm. uh it's j myers fam i every i can't remember it <laughs> guys you have a good week appreciate it paradox is produced by billy lee myers jr and researched by dr jimmy and dr josh myers special thanks to life austin church in austin texas and our paradox evangelist julie lyles Carr. to find out more about the paradox and to sign up for email updates go to our website paradoxpodcast.com next time on paradox i would say don't be afraid to step outside of the box don't be afraid to define what your family needs and to step away from what society tells you you need There's so many ways to learn, and school and the way they do it is just one way. And I would also say that I really feel, and I really learned this through our years homeschooling, you are really your child's primary teacher in those early years, no matter what.